Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. It is Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. Um, on today's show, everything Major League Baseball free agency. John Taylor of Fangraphs and I, we we dove into all of it. Um, a lot's happened since our pod last, last week, uh, last Wednesday, because, you know, um, Major League Baseball was in a lockout before our last uh, podcast, and now uh, free agency is running wild, and yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. So we we touch on the winners and losers so far. The Yankees have done, the Braves, Freeman, Olsen, Cubs, and Correa. Like we just we hit on all of it, and uh, yeah. So I think you guys will enjoy that. So um, yeah, without further ado, let's uh, let's get moving on that front. But don't forget, folks, uh, if you are not already subscribed to the Chase Thomas podcast, please make sure you go ahead ahead and uh hit that subscribe button on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you get your podcast also if you like this program and you're already subscribed make sure if you have not already done so uh leave a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcast it helps more than you know it helps other people find the show and it helps the show just continue to grow so it would uh, be great if you could do that uh don't forget you can watch us yeah you can watch this very program on YouTube. We're on YouTube, youtube.com, type in the Chase Thomas Podcast, hit that subscribe button, like the videos, share them out, all that good stuff. Uh, new videos every day on the YouTube channel. Uh, you can also visit the homepage, chasethomaspodcast.com, for access to all of my previous episodes. Like uh, the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, you heard it. You didn't hear anything because they're not spreading the news because it already happened. Major League Baseball is back. It's been John last week on this very podcast. We were like, I don't know, man. This feels like this thing could drag on into the summer. And then what does Major League Baseball do? totally well kind of redeem themselves i'm not gonna do a whole yeah they didn't really but hey john beggars can't be choosers and major league baseball is back um i just put in a request to throw out the first pitch for a tennessee smokies game next month um i'm the only verified twitter user who has sent it in to this point so fingers crossed minor league baseball i mean tennessee smokies i know you're a big fan of the podcast make this happen i've always wanted to throw out a first pitch at a baseball game i, I was gonna say be being, cool. being twitter verified absolutely gives you a leg up here because it just separates you into another tier you know mm -hmm. it it, is it's you it's you and whatever freelance journalist happens to apply mm -hmm. for this what do you remember when you first got called into the meeting by twitter superiors that you were getting verified i yeah, i'll into never the, forget my into, into the inner sanctum i'll never <laughs> forget the feel of the obsidian knife as they carved my username into my flesh really really uh, memorable experience it, it was a memorable time, John Taylor. But um, how are you feeling, man? How has everything been in the last week? Are, like, are you overwhelmed with the amount of baseball news? Are you? Are you? Do you feel like you're caught up? Because I feel like I miss something every couple hours where I'm checking through and I'm like, okay, how did I miss that at three o'clock yesterday? Or I, I don't know. Are you? How are you feeling about everything that's happened in the last week? I finally understand why. When I worked at SI, my colleagues who covered the NBA so very much dreaded the start of the offseason because mm -hmm. everything happening in essentially, you know, we had all the signings that happened 
more or less over the course of 48 hours pre-lockout. And then obviously since lockout, we've had a ton of moves too. So this is basically what it would look like if if MLB had the NBA-style offseason where everything happens in rough, roughly a week. Mm-hmm. I can't say I hate it just from a standpoint of let's just get this all out of the way as quickly as we can so we can just focus on so we don't have to you know keep following rumors. I've never been a guy who's like who's always cared about like oh the the winter long hot stove. It's like no, just just let's just get this over with. I, I don't care to have to keep hearing about like mystery team rumors surrounding like Nick Castellanos. I don't care. I'd rather just Nick Castellanos go sign with the team. But maybe that makes me you know. Uh, not necessarily unusual. I don't know. I don't know if other people enjoy the the Twitter, the Twitter chase or the or the hot stove or the rumors or the or the freedom period where you're just doing that thing where you Photoshop guys into different uniforms mm-hmm. and then be like, here's what this ultra cool lineup would look that has like no chance of happening. Uh, maybe maybe I'm just like too old for that kind of shit anymore. But like, I I does it is it it's weird because on the one hand it does feel like so much has happened and so many players have changed teams so rapidly and without that kind of cushion of the rest of the offseason for you to get kind of used to it. Because when we were in the middle of the lockout, the only thing we were really thinking in, about was lockout. There was, there was no baseball news. There was no any baseball, anything that could happen. I, I still have these moments where I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy's on that team now. That dude's on this team now. Like, that place, that team doesn't have this guy anymore. Like, that probably is going to take a little longer this season because everything about this offseason has been so compressed, or at least everything about the offseason as we normally go about it you know no, most off seasons don't have work stoppages so on the one hand yeah it has been kind of dizzying what's funny to me though is that there's been very little actual free agent signings or very few or at least it hasn't been the major proportion of moves have been trades mm-hmm. and even more notably i think with the free agents is the the only two major free agents uh that or at least the two major free agents that have come off the board so far who were still on it when the lockout ended were carlos Rodon and clayton kershaw Rodon obviously was going to sign. I think I believe he was the first major free agent to sign, and that wasn't really a surprise. He was the best pitcher left, and he was always going to find a home very quickly. In particular, because pitchers just need more time to get ready for the season, and any team that wants him needs him in in camp now, especially with spring training all of roughly three weeks this year. But Kershaw, I mean, and Kershaw, I think is a little different too because he was only ever going to sign with Los Angeles or Texas. I think I, I don't really think there was any other contender there, and it seemed pretty clear that once he was once he determined he was fully healthy, he wanted to go back to LA for for another season. So beyond that, it's been mostly relievers who have been signed. I mean, you look at the guys who are still left available. Obviously, Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman, who's home now is definitely going to be a question mark because Atlanta really was the most sensible and easiest landing spot for him. And now that's kind of up in the air. Chris Bryant, whose market has been weirdly just the Rockies and the Phillies, apparently, <laughs> which I, I don't understand. I understand for the Phillies. I don't understand it for the Rockies, but I don't understand anything they do. Trevor Isn't he Stewart, close with Harper? Isn't Harper and Bryant? Well, yeah, he's close. close? Well, I, or Harper's been the one going to, apparently going to Phillies ownership and saying, get Chris Bryant here, get yeah. Chris Bryant here, which is re- it's smart on his part. And certainly mm-hmm. it should be, you know, I, I assume that their personal relationship plays a that, but apparently Bryant doesn't have any interest in Philly. And I can't say I blame him. That's at best, the third best team in the NL East right now at best behind with Bryant with, I mean, even with Bryant you're behind and we'll, we'll get more into this. I'm sure over the course of our NL East yeah. talking, but like, you're behind a loaded Braves team that has not that has kept pace with where they were last year. Now they decided Colin McHugh today, so a really good bullpen gets that much better, which is crazy. 
and you're behind a Mets team that has shown every willingness to spend, spend, spend to do whatever it takes to to win a to win either division or, or World Series or whatever it happens to be. So, meanwhile, you've, you're the Phillies, and all you've done so far is sign Juris Familia. Like I, I, I don't know if you're if you're Chris Bryant. Like, what is appealing about Philadelphia? Regardless, he's still on the market. Trevor Story is still on the market. And we've had there's been very little chatter about him. Nick Castellanos is still on the market. We've heard very little about him. Uh, you know, I think maybe, you know, closer than one of the, I think those mid-tier guys like a Kyle Schwarber or an Anthony Rizzo will probably end up signing first, but this is going to be something where these top free agents are still going to be on the board for a bit. And I mean, we're already hearing rumors that the Astros are going to make a new offer to Carlos Correa, which makes it Hmm. seem like his market just never existed in the first place, which is very, very strange to me. So, well, it has to, like when you hear, like when we heard that the Cubs were just like the favorites, we're like, oh, that's a bad sign. If the Cubs are the favorites for that that's not that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it makes sense mm-hmm. from a, in a pure roster level. Yes, the Cubs should sign Carlos Correa, but given what we've seen them do over the last few years, no, that's a really really bad sign. I yeah. I would love to know exactly what if anything has gone on behind the scenes with Correa because obviously he had the agent switch in the middle of the offseason uh, going to Scott Boris, which would suggest that he was that he felt he was not being uh, marketed strongly or aggressively enough because that is very much Boris's thing. And Boris's thing also, I mean, if you're Carlos Correa, is he gets the most money possible for his best free agents. But I do wonder how that transition may have impacted things. Obviously, the lockout slowed things down, too. And then there's the factor that the team that made the most that made the most sense for Correa, both on a roster and money from a roster and money perspective, that is the Yankees, just never really seemed to engage with him. Um, and then also hurt that seemingly the number two team that would have been on him in Detroit decided to go with Javi Baez instead. So I don't know, maybe, maybe Correa has been, maybe Correa's price has just been too high. Maybe his, maybe his representation simply hasn't found the right person. I, I don't know. Or maybe there just aren't teams that really feel comfortable with whatever it is they know it would take to land him. But it's got to it, be it, years with his injury stuff. That's got to be what it is. I, I would be. figure because ultimately, the, you know, money is just money. But yeah, I would have to figure for teams. It's not just the money, but also, yeah, how long are we going to carry this contract? And I think you've seen that with the moves that have been made is that and you know, this is I mean, this is an accepted maxim in reality of baseball It's like you do not want to give older players long term contracts. You want to do whatever you can to avoid that. And I think we saw that play out pretty much by the book with regards to how the Braves did did their Freeman and Matt Olson tango. You know, they could have very easily just signed Freddie Freeman to whatever contract he was asking for, and it would have been fine for the next few years, and then there would have been an age-related decline, and that would have been that. But they would have also kept Christian Pache and Shea Langoliers and the two pitchers they gave up instead of having to send them all to Oakland for Matt Olson. But at the same time, Olson's five years younger. That makes a huge, huge difference. Uh, it makes it way it makes it way more palatable to give long-term deal, especially because I can't imagine Freddie Freeman was asking for 160 or or what or once or whatever exactly it is that uh also like the 8168. You know, I have to imagine Freddie Freeman's contract began or his his money ask began with at least a two. You know? And yeah, I mean look, I I, I am sure that you have thoughts on Freeman and Olsen specifically and the Braves generally when it comes to the way they've chosen to spend their money this offseason, or at least the offseason plan they've gone through with. I mean, just looked at from a pure baseball perspective, all emotion cut out of the bargain and all seeming like, you know, straightforward logic cut out of it. The Braves got themselves the younger version of Freddie Freeman 
for at two thirds the cost they would have had to pay the current version of Freddie Freeman. And if the cost of that is you have to give up a guy who may never hit and a catcher who is good, but you know, not necessarily the second coming of Joe Mauer or anything. And, you know, two live armed righties who, you know, the, the ultimate lottery ticket in major league baseball. I don't see why you don't do that. You know what I mean? Like I, sentimentality and emotion aside and the prospect cost aside, which is not insignificant, but I, I, I am just, I think it, the prospect cost depends so much on how you feel about Pache and whether or not he needs to be able to hit at any level to be a starting center fielder. Because I mean, right now the dude projects as like Gerard Dyson, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, maybe a slightly better version of Gerard Dyson. And that's, that's not, that's not nothing. That is not, invaluable Gerard Dyson has car- carved himself out a nice little career as a starting center fielder for a few years in Kansas City although it's worth noting I don't know how many other teams at that time would have been starting he very much benefited from being in the right in the right system for him but then certainly has carved himself out a nice career afterward I don't know if he's still going I actually don't know if he's on a roster right now can but I as tell a, you a quick 15 a second first... Gerard Dyson story yeah. okay yes yeah, so I'm always here for Gerard Dyson stories so I haven't played a video game in probably like if I turn 31 next month, then I haven't played a video game in at least eight years. And around that time, I, I don't have time. What, what time? What time are you doing, John? What, what, do you want to see my calendar? I'll send over my Google calendar. I'll, I'll I show see, you I my the podcast docs. I can, I can already tell. Oh, that's right. I didn't even think about that. That when y'all are going through it, you're like, oh, this is still okay. Um, it's yeah, like, the, yeah it's... There, you you tape like six of these a day. I'm not sure when <laughs> you have time to eat or sleep or like blink. Uh, it's hey man. Uh, it it is what it is. But I also enjoy it, so I enjoy it. But um, no. So draw Dyson. One of my favorite things in Major League Baseball, the show back in the day. Like I loved. I played just so much Major League Baseball games. I think it was MLB 2K which was not a very good game at all. But it, before that, it was MLB The Show. And after that, and I remember I would adjust the, like Gerard Dyson was my dude because I, as a skinny runner, like I, I, I just identify with Gerard Dyson. You, so you, I, you, you felt represented. You yes, saw yourself on screen. Right. And you don't see many of those guys. Like growing up, my dad was like, David Eckstein, that's who you need to be. Um, like I, a lot of strong David Eckstein when I played baseball. And also just being left-handed, I got hit a lot. So I got on base a lot. Like it's just, you're, no you're one knows- really, you're really going full Brandon Geyer mode here. Like Brandon, exactly, exactly. And I would adjust his power numbers and, uh, and took it. So I wanted to always, that's the only thing I would adjust is draw Dyson's power. So I would make it to be like Andrew Jones level type thing where I'm like, I'm going to make draw Dyson hit. I'm going to make him rake because that is what I've always wanted to do. And I just want to see so, a skinny guy rake in these games. So that's in other, do. in other words, when you turn Gerard Dyson's power slider all the way up, you turned him into <laughs> Christian Pache. At the Christian time, Pache yeah. is basically peak Gerard Dyson with mm-hmm. with a lot of raw power that he hasn't unlocked because he doesn't he has yet to figure out how to hit consistently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I to me at least, like it, it's funny that we have you know we have this. It's really more of a trading frenzy because the major free agent hitters are still available, and in a lot of cases, you know, you're looking at a lot of them and going, "Where exactly is the team supposed to come from here?" I think mm-hmm. Freeman's a really good example. I know we've been hearing over and over again that, you know, even before the Braves, uh, more or less, and I, I I, don't think you ever say ever because you never particularly know, but I, I think it's pretty fair to say he is not coming back to Atlanta, barring 
some kind of absolute who freeman yeah oh no freeman's gone like the fact that alex anthopolis was crying this week when asked about the matt olson trade did you see this yes okay yeah that's that's over like the fact that anthopolis was crying about it tells me it was over. but also just to because we're just let's just get into this like i i just need to like let's just get into the freddie freeman thing altogether. let's so, do it i we talked about this on the pod where like so much it, like tampering is just a part of pro sports now and it's just a part of this whole sure. thing um once that piece came out on espn from buster only remember we talked about it and it was like the line of the braves like it was basically a contingency plan in place was matt olson mm-hmm. right that was over like i think only and i think other people knew around baseball that freeman was not getting resigned and that they, the Braves had already like put together a trade, had already talked to Billy Bean, had already gotten this all together, and were like, hey, once baseball resumes, let's do this. Let's make this work. They are like, I just, it happened too fast. The fact that Langliers and Pache were in this deal tell me that they had, t- the Braves had time to think about this and to really consider like, yeah, because that, that's it, that's not something you throw together in 36 hours. Is let me let us give you the guy who was a global top 10 prospect right. as of like two years ago and our future catcher. Right. You, like, you don't you just don't decide do that. that on a whim. No. Yeah, I, I get that. So I think it was that part of it is something that I think fans in Atlanta have missed is that like this is something that they had targeted. And also there's a PR aspect to this, which is Matt Olson went to my high school. So another part view kid is an Atlanta brave. So that's pretty cool. That part's cool. That's a home run thing. If you want to bring back the hometown kid and like the Atlanta zone, and you want to move on from Freddie Freeman, you want to do this. There's only one guy that Braves fans can talk themselves into. It's like, Oh, the other cheap option. Who's going to hit dingers. Who's from our hometown. Like, yeah, perfect. And then when you got the long-term deal locked in, so it's like, okay, he's young and he's locked in. So he's not going anywhere. Then you add in the video of Ronald Acuna. Did you see this yesterday in batting practice? Because he won't be back till mid-May. And he's like, I'm back. Yeah, and he's, it's like, he was, it's him smoking balls left yes. and right. I'm back. It's like, that's all I needed. Oh, yeah, it's Ronald Acuna's team. What, who, Freddie, who? It's Ronald Acuna's team. Like, I don't, no, what, I, what are we doing? What are we doing here? I don't, yeah, like, I, so I, I, I totally get what you're saying. The writing was on the wall there mm-hmm. for Freeman. And but more than this, well, there's last part to this, last part, last part is, there's another contingency of Braves fans who have turned on Freddie Freeman where it's like, I've already started to see this where it's like Liberty media is like, they deserve some credit for acting and doing this, that, and the other. And they said, if Freddie Freeman wanted to be a brave, he would still be a brave. That is not reality that we don't have to do that. We can say that the Braves did well to uh, pivot off Freeman like that getting Olsen for even what it costs. Like if, if Langliers and Pache both don't hit, like it's slam dunk. You do that every time. However, Freeman could absolutely still want to be an Atlanta Brave for that number that he ends up signing for and the Braves just didn't want to do it. Like the idea that if Freddie Freeman did not want to be a Brave, it's the Freddie Freeman's fault now is just no, the, asinine. No, just, it, like, we don't have to carry their water. You don't have to do this. I promise no, I, you, you I, don't I, have I to do I agree with this. you that the most likely side of it here is either A, the Braves decided they had no interest in Freeman no matter what price he said, unless it was a number that was extremely below whatever he was going to say. And two, what Freddie, I think. Freddie Freeman was not going to come back to Atlanta unless it was on terms that he wanted. He wasn't just going to come back because he'd been there forever. And that's that's kind of the thing about free agency. It's like you 
there is this idea that like, oh, this guy's been here so long. He is an attachment here. He should want to be here. He should want to stay here. What does, to a certain degree, what does Freddie Freeman owe Braves fans beyond what he's already contributed, which includes a World Series championship, to the effect that that should impact his future financial and professional stability and happiness and everything? You know, what, why should Freddie Freeman take a discount to return somewhere that is not willing to extend him that same courtesy kind of back to him? You know, if the Braves are saying, and obviously this is all, you know, we're all, we're just speculating, but it, it does seem like it reflects the reality we live in. If the Braves are basically saying, we only want you back at this price, does not matter, you know, what you did here, what you mean here, all you've accomplished here. We have boiled that all down to this one particular number. You can take that or you can leave it. But if you do not want it, we are moving on. We are going to do our own thing. Like, that's up to you, man. Like, the fact that I, and I don't necessarily know you feel about this, the fact that they didn't let Freeman know that Mm -hmm. this was coming, part of me thinks that there was probably just no need, that he already knew that this was happening. Um, That he, or at least either he knew or had intuited that he would not be coming back to Atlanta, and so that there was no real point for the Braves to make it official and say, hey, by the way, we're not not resigning you. He he, he already Mm -hmm. knew to a certain degree. And I'm sure that in the process of those conversations with him, appropriate words and noises were made about how much they value Freddie and how much they, you know, how important he has been to them. And I don't necessarily know they needed to have one final phone call to say yet again, Freddie, we loved you. Good luck. You Mm. know, that also doesn't need necessarily to be a phone call that happens right after that trade. Who knows? Maybe Anthopoulos wanted to just take a little time or something. But I I, I do just find it interesting if you, you know, you mentioned the idea that fans holding against Freeman, it's like the Braves seemingly owed him nothing at all despite the fact that they profited off of him giving him giving them the best years of his life for a fraction of what it should have cost you know that to them that was like okay thanks for thanks for everything you've done freddie we'll see you out the door we're gonna go sign we're gonna go trade for the cheaper uh younger version of you so we can do this exactly well they're not gonna do exactly this but we're gonna get the younger cheaper version of you if you don't mind Right, but, but it's good also luck free agency, that, though, man. And it's we're now the AAV team. Like the Atlanta Braves are the AAV team. That's who they are. And like, yeah, the, buddy, the, the hmm. stuff about the about how little they're going to be paying Acuna, Albies, and Olson combined over the next five or six years, on top of how little they owe to guys like Ian Anderson, and if he ever gets healthy, Mike Soroka, and basically all of their pitchers who are not named Charlie Morton. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's ridiculous how they've. Alex Anthopoulos is really good at making the system work to his advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we definitely saw that in Toronto where he very quickly built a very, very good team seemingly out of nothing. And I think we're seeing it again in Atlanta where he, I mean, granted the pieces were there. He already got a, he already had Acuna, Albies and Freeman and, and, and well, Anderson. Yeah. Anderson was a, was a, was a copy draft pick. Like mm-hmm. a lot, virtually all of the pieces were already there. Anthopoulos's work was what he did in free agency. And of course the big trades he made last year to, you know, to get Jock Peterson and, and Eddie Rosario. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's really impressive what he has done. It is really like, again, take the emotion and the sentimentality out of it. Turning, turning fr- uh, the loss of Freddie Freeman or the, and you can, you know, you could say it. Yes. Turning, we're not going to re-sign Freddie Freeman into, but here's Matt Olson anyway. I mean, shit, that's real good work. <laughs> like, there's just but no it's also just that. like the Braves are probably going to be worse next year. And this is something that like I understand. Like the window is probably open longer because with Olsen locked in, with Acuna locked in, with Albies locked in, with the the young arms locked in. I mean, 
it, it, it feels pretty good. It feels like the Braves are not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, but we've talked ad nauseum about the pseudo contention and what teams do here and like want to be in this water. Like this is the bread and butter, especially with an expanded playoffs that like the Braves should really have no excuse unless they have an injury season from hell from not no, being I, in the playoffs I, I think every you- year. I think the point or I think the goal for Anthopolis is build a team that is seen as the favorite to win the NL East or that is the Mm -hmm. mathematical favorite to win the NL East. I don't know if you can really truly build a team that's the favorite to win a World Series because there are just way too many potential pitfalls and obstacles and just plain old time between the start of the season and and potentially winning the World Series. I think you can with I think the error bars are way more narrow and you can be way more confident about this roster is good enough to win the 85 or however many plus games that we need to win in order to lock up the division, which as the expanded playoffs have now cemented is the most important thing you can do if you want to make the postseason. You know, you can't control whether or not you have the best record in the National League or, the, or a top two record and thus get the, the the automatic buy from the first round. But if you win your division, the, the odds are way higher you're going to be in that conversation. And even if you don't, you've got home field two out of three in the first round, you know. It is the most important advantage you can have, I think. And so it makes sense to me that like, yeah, you look at the Braves right now. Are they on the level, say, of, well, truthfully, I mean, I guess that's the other thing. And we will talk about this, I guess, more when we get to the Braves in a in a few weeks. But like, I mean, they're, I don't really see, aside from Milwaukee and depending on how things last year play out this year and depending on whatever levels of regression we're dealing with uh, San Francisco, I don't really see anyone challenging Atlanta as the number two to the to the Dodgers number one in the NL right now. I have, a, or I guess, sorry, I forgot the Mets, but mm-hmm. I'm going to side with the division winner over the Mets, especially because, I mean, we we can argue about the impact of Olson versus Freeman this year, you know, and and what kind of specific numbers each will do and 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 whatnot. But I don't see this Braves team as having gotten worse this offseason. I don't know if they've gotten substantially better. But I do think mm-hmm. they've at least held serve, if not gotten a little better than from where they were. The the potential the potential catastrophe or the catastrophe always would have been Freeman walks and our replacement is who the hell knows. You know, that was always <laughs> if that had happened, if they'd let Freeman walk and replaced him with three rando minor leaguers, then, yeah, I think we're talking about Atlanta being a real threat to miss the playoffs entirely. I think there would have been a revolt, though. I don't think that would have, like... No, and I, I, I think that's the thing. I think Atlanta at least was smart enough to realize we cannot let this guy walk unless we have a really damn good, you know, fallback option in place. And I think mm-hmm. you're right that the deal with the deal with Oakland probably was... the At least the parameters were, were probably sketched out before the lockout started. And then once, it, once the lockout ended, I, I'm sure it was just a matter of just, you know... Uh, of filling in the final details but and to be yeah. clear i don't have any insight i'm just saying the fact that when that came out uh with only no it, ma- it makes it, perfect yeah. sense it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense like if you and, and i it does make sense like if if atlanta is already starting to float the possibility of a plan b at that point in the offseason then i think you can say for sure that they are not one that they're they're not freddie freeman or they're not all in on freddie freeman like I think if you gave Alex Anthopoulos true serum before even last year and you said, is Freddie Freeman a brave in 2022? He would say no. Like if you had to give him true serum before last year, I think they operated on the assumption that this was it. Like it was not going to happen with the money in the years, but I don't that know. Would, like, that would be interesting because there is also the idea too, that the Braves never would have had to get, get to this point if they just made Freeman an extension offer at right. any point over the last two years. And the fact that they didn't, 
yeah, that probably does speak to how they, they'd already started to look at, yeah, the years and money this guy's going to ask for, for what he is on. And I think especially what hurts him a lot is he's a first baseman. There's nowhere up the defensive spectrum he can go. He is sure. always going to be a first baseman. And even with the universal DH now, even with the NL getting it, like the, the, the tool that's going to carry him through his 30s is purely his hit tool and his power. You know, there's no defensive value to be found past a certain point, and he's not going to be able to play the position the way he does or the way he has anymore, and he's not bringing any speed to the table. So, yeah, you it, it is completely understandable why Atlanta did what they did. I think what's interesting to me is just what it says about how teams have just basically, like, this, and I, the, not that there was anything in the CBA that would have changed this, but it, it remains the same, you know, pre-new or old CBA, new CBA. Teams really just don't want to do big free agent deals anymore. They really just don't want to do it. I, and it, what's funny to me is like we, we've seen that. Not, and it's not just with the Freddie Freemans of the world, the guys where you can make the case for, yeah, it probably isn't the best idea to give a 33-year-old for first baseman an eight-year deal worth like $250 million. Like That can go really bad really fast. Mm-hmm. Fine. Everyone can understand and accept that. Carlos Correa is like 28 years old and is arguably one of the five best shortstops in baseball right now, literally mm-hmm. right this moment. You know, there are like only four teams in baseball who he is not an upgrade for in some capacity. And even they could probably figure something out to make it work. Why is he still a free agent? Like, where do you want it? Where do you want to? Yeah, that's kind of the thing. Like, if, yeah. if you're not willing, I can understand not wanting to invest big years and money in Freddie Freeman. But when you don't want to invest big years and money in Carlos Correa, or as we saw in years previous, that nobody wanted to invest in Bryce Harper, nobody wanted to invest in Manny Machado, nobody, like, why? 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 What is the excuse? What is the rationale here? I just think everyone's just prudent. Like every front office just has. Yeah, but it's it's not even about prudency. I think it's just everyone values everyone in seemingly the same way. So everyone comes to exactly the same number or something really close to it that they believe is the true value of this player. And then because every front office is now run by quants, they can all kind of effectively go to their owner, who none of whom want to spend money. I, I hate being on this tack already, but shit, everyone who was coming. Can, they, they go to the owners who don't want to spend the money and say, hey, this is this is the number. You know, if they hold up a big sheet of paper like Will Chamberlain with the 100. <laughs> like, this is the this is the number that our math geeks think Carlos Correa is worth. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't pay him any more than that number because you will probably you will probably lose money on the deal or you won't it won't be as cost effective or whatever, you know, whatever McKinsey crap it is, they say. Like that's not a hard selling point for an owner. Because I mean, it used, and I mm-hmm. think we've talked about this a bit. It used to be before a guy like Boris, who's still very powerful and the most powerful agent, used to have that power of just being able to go over a front office and go over GM's head directly to the owner's suite to a bunch of guys who didn't know what the hell they were doing at any given point when it came to numbers or math or baseball anal- analytics or really any kind of baseball evaluation beyond I like him, I don't like him, you know, the, the Wilpon school of, of, of player management. And just mm-hmm. tell that owner directly, hey, here's the number. You, here's This is just the number you got to reach. If you reach it, this guy's yours. And he's great. You can't, like, it, it must be so hard to sell players in an age when you have mathematical models for basically everything. And data on basically every single thing a player does. And that's also not something a CBA is really going to change. Like, part and parcel of the data revolution that I, you know, I probably should have been talked about more when it was happening was that all these measurables existed not just to tell us, the consumer, the fan, what a player does in, in a really granular detail, but also the front offices. 
what a player does in really granular detail, which means they can model down to like the, to like the 10th decibel point, you know, the, the, the particular math they need to do to determine whether or not this guy is worth whatever it is he wants to be paid. And mm-hmm. I think you, you just, we keep seeing that now in free agency that, you know, it used to be at least, it used to be at least the young guys, you'd still, you'd still get your A-rods, you know, you'd still get your guys make getting a, a 10 year, $300 million deal or whatever, you know, that, and that we saw that happen with Garrett Cole. So it, it can happen. Although I, I imagine the Yankees are already looking at what's left of that deal and going, Oh, I don't know about that. Cause then the other part of that too, is every, I think every team understands this. You win a free agency deal in the first two to three to four years of it. You, you sign that deal knowing that the back half is going to be a, is going to be a, a slog to a certain degree, or that it's not that the back half of those, the back half of that contract, the player's not going to be as productive as the front half. So I guess that maybe that's part of it too, is that GMs increasingly feel like, Hey, if the window to win a world series is that small, that, that our team is not, you know, unless we're the, unless you're the Dodgers, you know, that it doesn't really make sense to give all that money to one guy if we essentially have to win a championship in the next three years to make it make sense financially, unless the particular team has like a, like the, like the Padres and Machado where there just was no money being spent. And I was like, okay, well we can give him $300 million. It's not really, we're not really, you know, going yeah. into the black. Here what are we going to use here. that? Exactly. exactly. It's what like, we're, we're going to anyway. give Kristen Norfia more money. Like, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is just interesting to see that, you know, coming out of the CBA or coming out of the lockout, I think everyone expected, okay, all these big free agents are all going to sign these big deals. No, 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 nothing about the CBA changed free agency or the way teams approach free agency. And it certainly didn't change the financials of free agency because all we got with regards to free agency was the CBT thresholds will be higher. That, that's really it. Nothing else changed with regards to free agency in Major League Baseball. Steve contacts. The Steve Cohen tax, I mean, Cohen's already said, I don't care. I'll spend whatever it takes because he's one of he's a, one of the few examples of a. Also, not, that's also new player. owner talk like that is new, new owner talk. Let's see five years from now, Cohen. Sure. That, that's see. that's that's definitely true. As well. <laughs> like, let, let's see how much appetite he has for 30 million dollars in luxury tax on year four of it or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. when he's shelling out basically half his payroll over the course of four years just to pay for the payroll. Um, boy, the CBT really is an ingenious little bastard of a, of a, of a thing. But yeah, I mean, and even with those CBT thresholds raised, I think all you've seen is the teams that they were already at the previous thresholds have now just inched up to the current thresholds. And that's mm-hmm. as far as they're going to go. And like, that's not nothing. I mean, I, I think the, the old, the overall raise was something in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 million, but that's not really going to, I think, move the needle enough to allow those teams not allow, but for, doesn't move the needle enough for those teams that are already at those thresholds to add someone like a Nick Castellanos or a Carlos Correa or a Freddie Freeman, who is invariably, no matter what contract he signs, going to take them past that threshold. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's just no way, shape or form. So, uh, so yeah, that, I mean, that's all a very long winded way of saying mm-hmm. like, you know, the free agency is still pretty messed up. And part of it is stuff that you can't even really fix in a CBA. Like, you can't undo analytics. You know what I mean? You can't you can't fire all the McKinsey weirdos and the Ivy League grads. I mean, you should, but you can't. You know, there's no way to get rid of them in the CBA. So this is just, I think, just the future we're, we're looking at. And I do wonder, especially coming out of it with this new CBA, where, again, nothing has really changed with regards to get, either getting to free agency or how you will be treated in free agency. If we are just going to see more and more young players just decide, screw it, I'm not dealing with that. I'm just going to 
and just go to ownership and be like, hey, or tell their agents, tell them to make me a long-term offer of six plus years at this number and we're good, you know, or, or whatever it happens to be. Because I, I just don't, like, again, like we saw with Harper and Machado, we're seeing it again with, with Correa in particular. What is the appeal of free agency if when you get there, you just sit there for weeks and weeks and weeks? And it's not like Carlos Correa is an unknown quantity where it's like, oh, we need to spin things back up after the lockout. Like every team in baseball knew whether or not they wanted to make Carlos Correa an offer and what it looked like from day one of free agency. Nothing about that has changed with the new CBA. So the fact that he's still sitting around suggests that, again, like what is what is free agency worth to players at this point? What is the value if you are like, again, they're going to make more money in free agency probably than they're going to make at any point in their careers before that. But all the struggle you have to get through to reach there, and then you're just going to be sitting around waiting. I don't know. I, I, I it, it's if you ever, I guess, if you want the proof that the CBA, I guess, like you were saying, like the, the owners don't deserve any, or the baseball doesn't deserve any props because we didn't get the CBA didn't necessarily fix anything. It improved mm. some stuff. The, the players made some real notable gains, particularly in minimum salary, in getting the pre-arb pool. In in, ra- in in raising those CBT thresholds, um, you know, I'm, I'm really glad they didn't sell out the international draft the way mm-hmm. I think they would have uh, in their last negotiations when they were way less aware about what that meant both to the players and what that meant as a bargaining chip. But either way, like they got some improvements, but they, nothing was fixed. The economic mm-hmm. landscape of baseball remains exactly the same. And you can see it, too, just in the way that the Reds have treated the immediate days after the lockout, which is just to get rid of everyone and ev- everything making money on their roster. And they're just going to go into a 65 win slumber for the next two to three years, I guess. Didn't their owner vote against the new yes, CBA? Yes, Bob Castellani was one of the owners who voted against raising the CBT thresholds. So or at least initially he voted against it. Um, obviously, yeah. the, the owners voted unanimously for the current CBA, but the. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything. The, but yeah. yes, Nassalani was he one of those guys who did not want to yeah. spend. Yes, he did not. He does not want to spend. He's in that class of owners with Bob Nutting and Artie Moreno and Dick Monfort. Well, what sucks there is two of those are in the same division. Like the NL yeah, Central is just that like... The NL Central I, is, a, is a disaster. Like, and the Ricketts, the, against... the Ricketts belong in that group too. That Most owners belong in this group where they feel like they shouldn't have to do anything. You know, mm-hmm. they, they shouldn't have to. They, there is a number that they're willing to spend and they are not going to go above that number and they don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it very much is just a Bob Castellani very easily could afford to field a Reds roster that is good enough to compete for a bad division. You know, Milwaukee's a good team and St. Louis is fine, but that's and Chicago might be better than Chicago's in, a, a huge wild card. I don't know. They get yeah, great. We're well, just like, it, what is? What are they doing? Yeah, it's gonna be fun when we get to Chicago. Uh, if we if we get to Chicago at this point before opening day, I guess we'll, mm-hmm. we'll keep talking about them through this. I guess through the beginning of the season. But yeah, the, I don't mm-hmm. know what to make of Chicago right now. Um, but yeah, the, the, building a Reds team that was good enough, not even not even necessarily even just to win the division, building a Reds team good enough to make the playoffs in the National mm-hmm. League is not an impossible thing, and it's certainly not something that would have cost an enormous sum of money. Like. The guy is being traded away. Jesse Winker, Sonny Gray, Eugenio Suarez. You know, like the Reds have shed roughly 50 some million dollars in payroll, I believe. But that's mm. not a substantial sum of money. And it's not like it, I, granted, you can argue that the money being paid to Suarez was more or less money that was being lit on fire at that point. Fine. <laughs> but like if you want a salary dump Eugenio Suarez, do you really need to staple Jesse Winker to him to do it? That's 
that doesn't seem necessary to me, or at least that doesn't seem like the move of a team that is doing that is doing this for anything other than financial reasons. But that's mm-hmm. the problem. Like the CBA, and I, I know the the players' union and the players like they don't want this landscape. They do not want an owner like Bob Castellani to be able to take a team and just strip it of parts because he doesn't feel like paying money anymore. That's an enormous disrespect, not just to the players on the Reds, but also to, to the entire league. That you're just mm-hmm. basically saying openly, we're not going to compete this year because I just don't feel like spending money. You know what is how how disrespectful can you possibly be to your employees in in doing something like that? But fundamentally, they they weren't able to accomplish anything in the CBA negotiations that keeps that kind of thing from happening. You know, without a salary floor, without some kind of you know, without some kind of guaranteed revenue split, if we are going to treat the CBT as a salary cap, which for all intents and purposes it is, uh, without shortening the amount of time players can either, can reach free agency or in increasing arbitration numbers or whatever it happens to be there you know as so long as you cannot fin- financially punish owners for not spending money or for simply or for simply just sitting on their piles of money the way that uh or or for or for doing things like you know with the with the a, I guess the A's now back on revenue sharing or what the pirates have been doing and just taking revenue sharing dollars and just not using them on their roster Mm-hmm. Unless there is some actual mechanism of punishment in some capacity for owners doing that, this will not stop. You know, this this will keep happening. You will keep getting three to four teams a year that decide quite simply, I don't feel like spending money anymore. We're going to get rid of our good players. We'll see you guys in like two or three years when the cheap players we have are good enough that we can look like we're contending. Because that's the other part of it. It's not like this money is ever really going to be spent again. On who exactly? Like, uh, who do the Reds have right now that they that they want us that they would spend that money on in the first place? You know, unless unless they're really thinking they want to give a long term extension to Luis Castillo, which I don't know that if I'm Luis Castillo, I want to take the Reds' money at this particular point. I'd probably just say, no, get me the hell out of here. They're not going to spend that money on the roster. I, I love the lie. Sell the team that- to Kirk Herbstreit. Sell the team to Kirk. <laughs> I mean, just because his face is red doesn't mean he needs to literally own the Reds. <laughs> He's the only like famous Reds fan I know is Kirk Herbstreit. Wow, I think disrespectful to. Um, who are you about to say? Who am I missing? Yeah, I was I was hoping I could think of someone off the top of my head, but boy, this is a lot harder than I thought. I told you, like there, I I just I for whatever reason it stuck with me that Herbie was a big Reds guy, and I was like, I've never seen another big Reds guy. Like I've oh, never. Yeah, I, I can't think of a Reds fan off the top of my head. Listeners, if you know of any celebrity Reds fans, <laughs> please send their send our condolences. Because man, like we've never watched a video pop up on YouTube where somebody <laughs> interviews this celebrity and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, the Reds are killing me this year." It's never yeah. happened. No, it's, it's never, never happened. I mean, it, it's funny you even, you get that even with the Royals because you have uh you have Paul Rudd and you have Jason Sudeikis and Jason Sudeikis and I think yeah oh, no, John Ham's uh, John Ham's a Cardinals fan. Sorry, yes, but like you, not not even like even the Royals have celebrity fans. Right, I can't think the of Reds a have none. It's Reds Herbie. That's really bleak. Boy, that's really bleak. Where's Sparky Anderson when you need him? <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Like, the only way you escape this trap is if you have an owner who's willing to spend, is if you get your own Steve Cohen. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, to, to stretch it a bit, I think that's why you end up seeing fans get so, are, are so willing to launder. And, and this is not, obviously not a baseball thing, but I, I'm genuinely curious if we ever get down this path. But I think that's why you see fans in the English Premier League so willing to launder the crimes of the of the financial organizations and groups and people. And in the case of Newcastle, literally Saudi Arabia, who own them, 
that they're willing to overlook some truly reprehensible things. I think you saw Chelsea fans who have kept their eyes closed to everything Roman Abramovich has done to earn the billions upon billions of dollars he had and that he then turned and spent on his team because that's the owner you want, ultimately. You want the one who's just willing to spend, 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 and they don't care how much it costs. You want a Roman Abramovich. You want the the, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I mean, you don't you don't actually want them. Like, this is not intended to be like a... I, I'm, I'm not, you know, you don't want Roman Abramovich, but you know what I mean? Like you want to, in baseball term, you want the Steve Cohen. You want the guy who's filthy rich and just doesn't care. And he's just like, okay, fine. I'll just spend my money because otherwise you're going to get a bunch of guys who treat your team like a hedge fund. Or, or and like, that's the thing is like the Cohen equity. stuff is you just, I don't even know how you fix that. And I wonder if baseball or even, I mean, this is permeated into multiple uh, sports leagues where it's like, the portfolio stuff and the hollowness of ownership groups. I mean, we see that in Liberty media and stuff like that, but like there is something we said about just, man, we got there. There are a lot of billionaires out there and there are a lot of folks like singular billionaires like Cohen who could buy these teams. Like there Mm -hmm. are a lot of those guys and baseball allowing these ownership groups to still operate and be, because ultimately they still had to get permission. Like they still had to buy their way in baseball. Every, every coming. Every owner must be approved um, yes. by the by the other owners. Like it is literally a club. It's a it's mm-hmm. essentially a country club. But yeah, but that's the thing. Like you you saw, and and I believe it now, especially given what we've what we've what we see with the Cohen tax. I remember hearing at the time that there were you know when Cohen was had emerged as the guy who was going to buy the Mets that there were owners who legitimately did not want him to own the Mets because they were worried he's going to spend a lot of money and make us look like a bunch of cheapskates. So mm-hmm. it is really funny that they did. They literally tried to stop him <laughs> from spending money in the current CBA. And the thing is, yeah, there's no fixing that because the league essentially approves that the right. league. I mean, this isn't this is a, an, an offer that was put together essentially by the owners and the league. They work hand in hand. You know, the league saw that and was like, yes, we do want us. We do want some level of spending cap for the richest owner in the league instead of turning to the rest of the owners and being like, why can't you be like this guy? <laughs> Just spend more, spend more. Mm-hmm. Again, like all all the all the lords of the realm stuff, where you're just like, how are you, you guys? Why you you choose to operate in this way? That like I don't know. I, I'd like to think that the mood or the media, both the mood around the lockout and the media coverage of it, that was notably more player friendly and anti owner than we've seen both with CBA negotiations in the past. And even over what we saw in 2020 during the the nego- or during the very nasty fight over when the season was going to start, I'd like to think that this is starting to extend to fans that the if your team is bad, the person you should blame first and foremost is the owner of said team because if your team is bad, it is more likely than not is because that owner does not want to spend past a certain point. Again, what is the justification for the Reds cutting all that payroll? It, you know, or, or better said, there is no justification for the Reds cutting on payroll because they're not going to spend it on the team. The, the lie that Nick and the Reds is the weird thing with them is like they're giving up playoff gate revenue. Like they would have probably been one of the twelve. Like they're right in that mix. Like if they yes. kept a lot of these Again, teams, like, like the, I don't this, understand this why they don't not, want the revenue. Yeah, this is not like this is not being this is not like you're the the, the Rockies or the Diamondbacks and you're looking up at the Dodgers and the Giants and the and the the Padres and the NLS and going, well, we're screwed for the next five to six <laughs> years or possibly forever. This is mm-hmm. a team that had a legitimate chance at winning the division, not a great one, but a le- but a legitimate one. Probably, I mean, definitely third 
definitely the third highest division odds probably going into the into the offseason, I think, of mm-hmm. that group. And certainly, again, not it would not have been some giant payroll undertaking, I think, to make them good enough, at least, like you said, to be in that contending group for at least a wild card spot. But to me, it's just the way that after the trade, after the Winker trade was made, that you have Nick Crawl, the, the GM of the Reds, telling reporters that, no, we there are some guys we like in free agency. We're, we're interested in content. And it's like, no, there aren't. Yeah. Who, who are the Reds going to sign in free agency right now? What would be the what would be the point, for example, to the Reds signing Kyle Schwarber or, or Trevor Story after what they've done? Like, they're not going to do that. They're, they're just lying. They are straight up lying. They are lying about how they are going to use these savings. Because the truth is that money is going straight back into the Bob, Castellani's, or Bob Castellani's pocket. That's where it's going. Mm. That's where it was always going to go. And again, until you make it so that owners basically can't just do that. They can't just say, well, I don't feel like paying them more this year, so I'm not gonna. You know, you, you're going to get this stuff happening. I liked that the players, when they were talking about this and why tanking and all this finan- all these financial shenanigans are such a big deal is because they are profoundly anti-competitive. They are anti-fan at the very core. They take a product that you and I and everyone else consumes for entertainment and that we really, really care about and basically just, dis- it's just, it's just messed up beyond all belief that they basically just get to decide, hey, this thing you really care about this year, not going to matter just because I don't feel like it's going to matter. Like Reds fans basically got told over the course of 48 hours after a hundred day lockout, finally baseball's back. Oh, by the way, you are not going to want to watch this team play. (laughs) Holy God, they're going to be bad. Like enjoy your four Joey Votto at bats a day and we'll see you guys. Why is he still there? I mean, he's still there. He's been already been asked if he would demand a trade and his response was basically, that's not for me to do, you know, that's not his style. And I mean, if you're the Reds, I, I don't really understand at this point why you keep him around. I can't he really feels imagine. Like a, he feels like a Yankee. Like this is like the if it if things mean, go poorly with the Rizzo stuff, is he the is he the fallback? No, because I, I think the the question there is how much money he's still owed beyond this point. And just looking it up super quickly, yeah, I, I would imagine that's probably the biggest hurdle. I mean, you saw that the Reds more or less had to give away Jesse Winker in order to get someone to eat the thirty million dollars left just to Eugenio Suarez. Vado mm-hmm. still has. Uh, 70 million dollars left over the next three years and mm-hmm. definitely you can say watching him last season oh well that doesn't feel like a terribly huge amount for a guy who is still a very good hitter but on the other hand you could say but what proof do we have that Joey Votto who is 38 years old is going to be able to keep doing that for another three years at 70 million bucks I think mm-hmm. the Reds might just be stuck with Votto until and unless, you know, he basically makes it clear that he does not want to be there anymore. But I think Votto is too much of a professional to do that kind of thing. But that's the thing. Like, the owners can do this whenever they feel like. They can just tank a season if they feel like it. The players are on that team. They don't get a choice. They're just stuck. They're just stuck. Joey Votto, a fantastic player, a future Hall of Famer, is just stuck. He's just going to be stuck playing on a fourth place team in for an owner who made it abundantly adamantly clear that he does not care what happens essentially with the rest of Joey Votto's career vis-a-vis making the playoffs again or winning a world series just stuck there so is Luis mm-hmm. Castillo so is Jonathan India who won rookie who won the rookie of the year award last year and now his reward is he gets to play on a 65 I forgot he won rookie of the year I forgot that yeah which you know that's the thing there are real people on this team who have to suffer but also they were moving in the right direction this one actually, the Reds really bother me because the Reds actually were moving in the right direction, and 
I think there was some optimism where it's like they were on they were in that group with the second tier with the with the Cardinals with the Brewers maybe with the Giants where it's like you can you could have seen with Castillo with uh, with um, Gray with that group with India a year older like you could see the right mix with the veterans and Joey Votto like you could see if even if they brought back Castellanos like you could see a situation or you could see a scenario where like if you played this season out a uh, hundred times the reds make a deep playoff run with that team that sure. we saw last year like 13 times like we could see sure. that it I mean, was we, enough we to just, do that we just put out our 2022 postseason odds today at Fangraphs. so unfortunately there's no way of knowing what the pre-fire sale reds would have been but i wouldn't be surprised if you'd give them at least like a 20 to 30 percent shot and that, yep. that's not particularly high but at the same time that was the reds having done really nothing because they didn't do anything that they haven't made any real additions this offseason. All their major moves have been, have been departures. They traded away Wade Miley. They traded away Sonny Gray. They traded away Tucker Barnhart or sorry. They didn't trade Wade Miley. They, they released him. Uh, they, mm-hmm. They've now traded away Jesse Winker. You know, they probably will move. will try to move Luis Castillo before time is up. But the other thing, like you said, I, I agree with you. It's not like the window for that team was closing or, I mean, mm-hmm. if you could call it a window, like Winker was Winker Gray, um, you know, the, these guys were were going to be around another couple of years or at least at least this season and, and beyond. I think Winker had another two years before he's finally a free agent. I think Gray had mm-hmm. this year and I believe a club option of some kind. Like it was not going to be impossible to keep this group together. This wasn't like a splintering. I mean, really, what this is, is a po- is an is a Marlin style fire sale, but without the World Series. You know, yeah. it is purely economic, purely financial. You cannot make an argument that the Reds did this to get better. Because they are a flat out, not just a worse team today, but I also have not really liked anything that they've gotten back in these deals. I mean, Justin, like the the headliner, the headliners, I think in either deals, I think Chase Petty for Sonny Gray and Brandon Williamson in the Winker Suarez deal, both good live arms. But I mean, you already have good live arms and Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green like that. Not to say that like, you you know, you, it's a bad idea to add more young pitching. But at the same time, like those aren't, those guys aren't going to help you today. And they're, you know, the odds of uh, what's the way I'm trying to put this. The the odds are always kind of stacked against pitching prospects. They break, they yeah. fail. They, you know, they, a lot of them do not pan out. Most of them. That's why you take a out. bunch. Yeah. That's why these teams just draft so many of them. Yeah. Like, but it's like, just... I, I, yeah, I, I think like certainly you can argue the Reds farm system is better now, but is it better enough to the point that it, it was worth losing all the guys who actually made you good and would have been around for a couple more years? Like, were Chase Petty and Brandon Williamson and Justin Dunn like is that really worth it? I don't mm-hmm. I don't know that you can make that argument. I don't know at least with the A's. Like I don't know that I love what they got back for Olsen because again, I'm not I don't know how long you can live with Pache if he just simply cannot hit. Like granted, he's in the best possible defensive place for, for him now in playing center field in Oakland. He will be a wizard in that place. He's but also if the you classiest baseball player I've seen in a long time, that dude very nice, is, seems like a very nice young man. He just seems like the nicest guy, man. Just the and nicest I, guy. And it is it is worth appreciating too that Pache is a guy who's never going to be expensive in arbitration unless he does learn how to hit, because his most valuable tools are things that don't really show up in traditional arbitration measuring statistics. He's always going to play for cheap for Oakland because he has mm-hmm. a skill set that is cheap. Speed and speed and defense are cheap or cheaper than offense. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they got two global 100 prospects in Pache and Langoliers. Langoliers made a took a real step forward offensively and now frees them up if they want to to move Sean Murphy for what would probably be a pretty good package, too, because Langoliers basically just looks like a Sean Murphy clone for all intents and purposes. 
And then they got a really good, uh, the, you know, the, they got a really good arm in, in Cusick, who, uh, you know, I think a lot of people liked a lot in the first round for the Braves last year. They got some really, really good prospects in that deal. And they got two guys in Pache and Langoliers who are ready to help pretty much right away. I mean, you can't really ask for better than that. Winker and Suarez returned a guy. The Mar- the guy wasn't good enough to stick in the Mariners rotation last year. A pretty, a, 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 a live arm lefty that a lot of people like, but who is, you know, still very much a, a lottery ticket. And I, I don't necessarily remember the prospects beyond that, but those are the two headliners. Mm-hmm. That's just not, and granted, like Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez, especially with Eugenio Suarez's contract, do not equal Matt Olson. Obviously, it's not going to be the same package. But I just really can't say that the Reds have even gotten all that much for what they've done. And that's that's just the truth of when you salary dump. You're just not going to get a whole lot in return. It's also kind of funny, though, that the you've, we've compared them to the Marlins salary dump. And then Derek Jeter reportedly quit. the One of the biggest reasons he was out on the Marlins is because they didn't want to sign Castellanos. Did you see that? Sabathia was like... Yes, um, yeah. He said on his uh, R2C2 podcast, I believe. Yeah. That he was like, yeah, that, that was a big sticking point with him. So it's like everything comes together. Everything become we forget. Like people, how is, mm-hmm. I was like, well, how people, is Nick Castellanos at the center of every tragedy? Like I know that <laughs> there is Derek Jeter walking out as there's a deep drive to left. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to put this headset on again, folks. That does not. I mean, I know it has been it has been memed and and whatnot to death, but that does not get credit as being one of the single funniest moments in both baseball and television history. Just unbelievable! Like a thousand monkeys and a thousand typewriters for a thousand years would have never come up with a joke that funny. I guess replace monkeys with like National Lampoon writers, but whatever or Harvard Lampoon, but like. It just it doesn't get enough credit while we talk about the Reds that they that they're they're responsible not just for that moment which is one of my favorite of all time but also the unhinged David Price <laughs> how the like how does this help the Reds rant that he went on a few years ago when he was still managing that team mm-hmm. they they really the Reds really do just give you some moments sometimes but oh what a weird franchise not not a whole lot of happy years in the recent past. No. For them. No, I, I pointed out online that they've had, I believe, four winning seasons in the last 11 or so years, which uh, to me is, right. is shocking. I didn't right. know it was that many. OK, I was going to say that feels <laughs> I mean, granted, right. one, one of them was 2020 when they finished like two games above 500 and then Atlanta just stomped on their on their guts in the postseason. So there's that. Yeah, but and then the other was I'm trying to think. Yeah, I can't remember. Either way, like this is not a team that has ever really seen that has not seen sustained success since the early nineties and that ownership is kind of, or I guess, I guess you Russell Brannion's not walking through that door. It's what we're, I guess you could say since the late 2010s, maybe with that, with that, with that dusty Baker led group. But Mm -hmm. yeah, this is, this is, and this is the problem. This is not an ownership group that's committed to, to that is committed to spending what it takes to make the reds a, a perennial contender, even in a weak division, even when it wouldn't cost all that much. And it's sad because again, there, there's no recourse for this kind of stuff. There's nothing, there's not let's say there's nothing Major League Baseball can do. There's nothing Major League Baseball wants to do or is willing to do or would do. They again, they signed off on the CBA. They're like, yep, we're good with all this. They don't care. The league doesn't care. Rob Manfred doesn't care. Owners certainly don't care. Fans have no recourse. Players have no recourse. Like this is going to continue to be a problem for as long as it is allowed to be. And I don't really I don't know why 
I get why the owners don't care about that. Why would they care about that? Why doesn't Rob Manfred know this? Why doesn't the league think that this is important? This is an existential problem for baseball is having owners who simply do not care. Like other sports have this problem too. I'm not saying they don't, but like they have other ways to get around this. I think that they have other advantages that baseball simply does not, or at least Mm -hmm. they do not, they are not working seemingly. uh, Baseball has enough problems as is without having to add, Hey, we have like a whole like dozen or so guys who own teams who just really don't feel like like trying ever unless they get to try for essentially zero dollars. That's a really, really, really big problem. And the CBA did nothing to change that. Um, and happier news. No, this isn't actually happier. The Miami Marlins? No, we have one quick thing that we have to mention before we talk about the Marlins real quick. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is banned from riding motorcycles. Um, there's never a good story about an athlete on a motorcycle. No, uh, or it, a dirt it, bike or a four-wheeler or I anything. mean they're all like, should be clear they're the great majority of them are funny. Mm-hmm. Like Jeff Kent saying he broke his <laughs> broke his hand or wrist or whatever it was washing his truck is never not going to be funny <laughs> to me. But yeah, any anytime an athlete gets on something that has two or four wheels and like a and like a two-stroke engine, bad stuff is about to go down. Well, bad stuff did go down. Bad and... stuff did go down. He didn't say originally that it was a motorcycle, right? Didn't he say, didn't Tatis reportedly so, say something else? So with Tatis and we should mention, his, he's out for three months. Like he's yeah, now he broke, out. he broke his wrist, which is, mm-hmm. again, th- as we as we said last year when, when he got hurt, the guy the Padres can least afford to lose, who is the most central to everything they do, and whose loss almost certainly knocks them completely out of NLS contention. I mean, I, I we we put out. I, went, I said we put out our our playoff odds at Fangraphs today. You'll you'll be you'll be surprised. Uh, you won't be surprised to learn that the Dodgers have the best playoff odds of any team in baseball at ninety five ish percent. But that also comes with a a very nice sixty nine point nine percent chance to win the division. The Padres mm. are number two at twenty two point five percent, and that does that does bake in Tatis not being there. But mm. yeah, that's their odds are now basically one in four, not even quite one in four. And that's with that's before the season's even started, where nothing else has gone wrong yet. You know, they, they Tatis has really put them behind the eight ball. If winning the division was something that they had any realistic plans on, but yeah, from what it from what it sounds like is he took a spill riding a motorcycle, did not break his wrist in the process, but more likely than not, and we we don't know for sure, but I would not be surprised if said accident had to do with the wrist later becoming broken. Because it seems like it was just something that com- that he heard it initially. It, it wasn't broken before. It wasn't broken at the time, but I'm sure it was impacted in a way that whatever it was that caused it to get broken, the motor. I mean, and even regardless, like re- regardless of how much responsibility said motorcycle accident um, bears for his broken wrist, the fact that when he was asked about the motorcycle accident, he responded, "Which one?" <laughs> Should also probably be super concerning to the Padres that maybe just maybe they should, you know, not. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to. Like, I'm not gonna. I don't want to lecture Fernando Tatis. Like I'm not his dad. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't need fans to be yelling at him. Be like, hey, why don't you think about the? Let him have fun. He's a 24 year old kid or however old he is. 23. Like he's a 23 year old multimillionaire. He's gonna do dumb things. But like, if I would just have it in his contract. If I was that's the thing. If you're the Padres, like, how do you not have that in his contract? You're right. not allowed anywhere near a motorcycle or a snowmobile or a dirt bike or anything that launches that moves you very fast without some kind of external thing around it. Even a yes. car. I mean, we, we saw what 
what happened to Pete Alonso's super truck. Yeah. Um, he got, I still can't believe that's a real wreck. Like, no, I don't I, know. I, I, I don't want to, I'm not, this is not conspiracy theory stuff, but I do not, I fundamentally do not understand how the video that we saw his wife take of that, of the aftermath of that accident was the result of him being T-boned. What hit him? A train? A tank? Yeah. The, like a comet? Like what was that? The rear axle on his truck was completely torn off. Yes. Like that it's is a crazy wreck stuff. if you haven't seen it, folks. Like it's that, a and that's crazy the thing, like, wreck. Like, no, there's no contract where they're ever going to be able to keep MLB players out of cars. But, like, mm -hmm. how do the Padres not have something where it's like, yeah, you are the most important thing that our franchise has had since literally Tony Gwynn. You're not getting – you're not even looking at a motorcycle, much less getting on one at any point. Yeah. that That's just kind of weird to me. Like, and I, I get it. Like, I know those clauses have existed in other contracts. And maybe the Padres are just trying to be – you know, they don't want to piss off their the face of their franchise. But, boy – uh, I got to imagine they're probably going to Tatis now being like, yeah, you're never getting on a motorcycle again. <laughs> never, never, never. Not while you play for us. Because, man, he really, really just, I mean, granted. Well, there. Hey, can we get a live, like, I want just like a live uh, reaction from Manny Machado when they told him the news that Fernando Tatis broke his wrist on a motorcycle. And they asked him what happened, or and he uh, they asked him about the wreck, and he said which one. Like I would love, to oh, yeah, I would have loved when... to if, if Machado had been there and had heard yes. the question just to see his face. Mm -hmm. But like, it's also it's really funny that Manny Machado now counts as like the the face and voice of maturity on a baseball team. It's just, but he, he is like no, that was is. what happened last summer. Dude Remember the really big grown. blow up between the two of them? Yeah, like that was is, the thing. Dude is really, dude has really come into his own in that regard. Uh, I think you see it, you see it with Harper too. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's. Boy, like I, I don't know that losing Machado or losing Machado, right? losing Tatis, like I, I'm not going to say like it's necessarily the difference between the Padres winning the NL West or not. They were going to be underdogs literally no matter whether or not he was there. But it's like I said, it's the injury they could least afford because now their replacement is Haseong Kim, who looked very bad last year at the plate. They don't really have either the either the payroll or the prospect capital to go out there and make a bigger move. I know I love the idea floating around that AJ Preller was going to give Correa a giant one-year deal just to be the Tatis replacement, essentially, which he'll do it. Preller's crazy enough, but I, I don't really see how that happens. I think Correa would probably just rather go back to Houston, all things considered. But, I just think that would be – that's a bad love for Major League Baseball if he takes a one-year deal, man. Like, I don't, I don't think his – I don't think Boris will let him take a one-year deal. I don't think – Well, the, fun, the funny thing is the, the conspiracy theory with regards to Correa is that because Boris took over as his representation during the offseason midway through, he would not receive the great majority of the commission for Correa's next huh. contract. So the and, – and granted, MLB owners treat Scott – or. MLB owners are to Scott Boris as Fox News viewers are to just reality, like, it, it, or, or better said, as as Fox News viewers are to Joe Biden. Like, it, they think he's some nefarious, like, super villain when in reality he's just a guy. He's mm. just he's really just a guy. But like that, I think that is one of the rumors going around is that Correa hasn't signed because Boris wants him to wait till next offseason to sign his big deal, and that Boris is going to try to steer him to a one year pillow contract. Again, I love the paranoia MLB owners have about Scott Boris. He is he he he's, he frightens them so much. Even when it's clear he's just not that powerful anymore. He's still I would very love to powerful have him on the podcast, he's, man. He's like the number one agent I would love to have on this podcast. Sure. I be, I bet if you could get him to talk, especially uh if you somehow managed if you gave him some of that truth serum, mm -hmm. holy hell. I, I would I would pay stuff a that he large, knows. Yeah, I would pay a large sum of money to hear Scott Boris talk off the record for like yeah. even just an hour. 
I would just, it's just do Scott like Boris off the record stories. I would pay an absurd amount of money to hear those. Or even just like you only give us one team. Like just talk about one ownership group for an hour. Give me an hour of one ownership group yeah, on the just record. Do it, just like, do it lightning yeah. round. Five, mm-hmm. five, five owners you hate the most. Go. <laughs> or like five owners, five owners who are the worst to work with or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't matter either way. Like, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it just sucks for the Padres regardless. It sucks for us too. Like we don't get to watch Fernando Tatis for three months. That's that sucks. That really sucks. After we Speaking already of, I have a question. didn't get to see him that much last year. How many Reds full Reds games are you going to watch this year? Are you going to watch one full Zero. one? No, Zero. Why, that's the thing. Like I may do they play I, the Red Sox? I don't believe NL Central and AL East meet. Or actually, do they? I think actually the Red Sox are playing the Cubs. If the Red Sox are playing the Reds this year, I take everything back I said about the Reds. Great job, oh, Reds. Thank you, you play Reds. in late May. Late Thank May. you, Reds. Thank you, Bob Castellani, my new favorite owner in <laughs> baseball who deserves the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his tireless work to make Cincinnati baseball great again. I appreciate very much, Lee, that he has done this in this particular year. <laughs> no, but I, no, I, I mean, I'm sure I'll watch parts if depending on the schedule obviously what i'm doing i'm sure i'll watch those games but I, i'm not like a baseball completist and that i need to like watch everything there are teams where i explicitly i'm like no i'm not gonna watch you guys like i'm not gonna watch the pirates mm. why the hell would i watch the pirates why would i watch the reds why would i watch why would i watch literally like a third of the teams in major league baseball if they're just not going to be competitive i don't care like who why would you care unless you're a diehard fan of that team and even those folks have got to be like looking at the ceiling like come on man <laughs> like what is the appeal of that's of a, why of baseball is fan? just so different and that's what like they don't these owners don't understand is that 162 games of apathy is horrific toxic. Like yes. it's toxic. There's no like you can tank an NFL season. Fans can like that's what just a small. Well, you can, part you can of especially Sunday. tank an NFL season because NFL fans, those fans, will immediately pivot to who's going to be the number one pick, who's going right. to be the like that's what they get to focus on for the entirety of the season. They just get to go full scout mode. Yes, baseball fans don't even get that. Who the like, hell on what Orioles fan or who had the worst record in baseball last year? Who has the number one pick this year? That's how little the number one pick in baseball ends up mattering too. We don't even track this kind of stuff, really. Well, we won't have to because they're they get the lottery now. Um, yeah, wait, is, I, is I, a lottery does lottery take effect I, for this current draft or for the next one? God, I'm not sure. Yeah, because uh, they haven't released the full CBA details yet. In part, crazy? I, I thought it was the Orioles were the last the worst team in baseball. Well, either way, whichever whichever team it is, the Orioles or the or, or whoever, do we really think their fans give a crap about following the college career of? Or if, if they even can, the high school career. Oh, my God. The they tied with somebody. Is. Who would you guess they tied with? Arizona. Isn't that crazy? Arizona, 50 set, uh, 52 wins last year. I had, forgot, I had forgotten until until recently when um, I, I, I was when the Baseball Prospectus Annual came out. I was reading the Diamondbacks chapter primarily because David Roth wrote, and he's one of my favorite sports writers currently going. Did Roth but, really write the Diamondbacks yeah, chapter? It is, it is, I believe it is Baseball Prospectus policy to ask him to write the saddest possible chapter. He's also <laughs> done the Rockies and the Pirates before. He's it's, actually it's not allowed funny. to write about happy things. He needs no, to write no. about it's Roth Roth is great at just drawing out the absurdity that exists within these tiddly in within these piddlywinks. Piddlywinks? Tiddlywinks? I think it's tiddlywinks, yeah. Yeah. I don't give a diddly poo. <laughs> oh no. John's doing his southern thing. Don't do it. No, John. I was going I was going Jim Mora. That's where I was going. Okay. Layoffs. Jim Mora. There you go. Well, you know, um, Jim Mora Jr. is coaching the UConn Huskies. 
Oh, that's very sad. I'm I'm very sad. Should I be very sad for him, or is he like a troglodyte doofus? Uh, I mean, he was okay in Atlanta. Like, he wasn't terrible. Sure, he was okay I mean, at UCLA. How far do you have to fall on the damn college coaching ladder before you smack head first into the rung that is UConn football? UConn football. I don't. It's I don't follow place. college football, and even I know that UConn is basically the ninth pit of hell. It's it's a bad situation. They're not in a conference anymore. It's <sighs> uh. It, imagine, imagine being too bad for whichever of the Big East or the Atlantic they were yeah. in. No, it, they got left out of the ACC. Or American Athletic, a, rather. Well, they got left out of the ACC, and that was like a, that when they got when the ACC expanded and UConn did not get in that group. That was the death. Yeah, th- this the, is also something where like I stopped paying attention, even the smallest amount of attention to college sports, right when all those realignments started. So now yeah. I have no clue where anyone is at any anymore, except for the SEC, because it just matters more there. Thank you, John. Thank but, you, John. And you're was, just like Jordan Beck dingers <laughs> over here at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. You're just you're looking at the Chase Burris show. Like you see that Tennessee is really invested in the Chase. So front. many of the words <laughs> you said are not in the Bible. Like I, I don't understand any of them. We actually but, have a reliever who's throwing 104 right now. But if you're if, if whoever that's that's pretty cool. If you're the, yeah. if you're whichever Pete it is Joyce. the Orioles of the Diamondbacks got that number one pick. If you're a fan of that team, like you're not spending this season looking forward to that pick being made unless it's a Bryce Harper level talent who I I don't think it is because I feel like we would have heard about that by now. Um, you, you just get like you said, you just get 162 games of suck. Or mm. if you're the Reds or if you're the Pirates, I'm like yeah, that stuff kills. That stuff is like Russell Carlton over Baseball Prospectus did a study that. It takes a long time for teams to win back those fans when they actively tank. Like mm. you don't really, they don't just come back right away when things start looking good again. The hardcore fans do because they never really left in the first place. But the casual fans, the folks who are going to a handful of games a year and watching games when they could on TV and who aren't really like, you know, they're not, they're not super, they're not gonna learn about the prospects or the farm system because they were never that invested in the first place. You know, they, they only know like five players they're not going to come back. Why would they? Especially if it takes Cincinnati as the best example. The Bengals just went to the Super Bowl. They have one of the most charismatic, if not the most charismatic quarterback in the NFL, a guy who is just some kind of legend already, despite the fact he's like barely old enough to drink, you know, or drive or vote or do anything. Why would casual Reds fans, after having seen what the Bengals did and knowing that the Bengals are probably going to be good, at least for the years left that Joe Burrow is there, why would they come back to the Reds? What is what is the appeal of the Reds at this point? Come watch Joey Votto take four at bats a week or four at bats a day, surrounded by some of the most slap dick hitters we could find. Okay, like I I don't really know what the Reds' plan is when people tune out on mass to win them back, because the way you win them back is you. I mean, the way these teams have done is you build it gradually, but like. Most teams, unless you spend a bajillion dollars in free agency, the way the the way the Mets have with Steve Cohen they're just not really going to care again, or they're going to care in a much more limited capacity, especially when on top of everything else, you cut payroll, but guess what? Tickets and beer and hot dogs and all that parking and all that stuff of the game costs exactly as much as it did last year, if not more. You're not, you, you, the fan, are not getting a financial break. You are not, the savings are not being passed on to you, the consumer. You still have to pay full markup for a shitty product that you don't like. Again, do not understand how and why Rob Manfred does not seem to get that or why it is not being labeled or why it is not being treated with the same urgency that a fucking pitch clock is. 
Pitch clock yeah. is good. I like the pitch clock in theory. Will would be it'll be left to see exactly how it plays out. But don't you think maybe a whole third of the league just not trying anymore is a little bit more important than whether or not there's a shift? Like the shift is not banning the shift will not bring casual fans back. Making it so that the Orioles and the Pirates and the Reds can't just screw their fans for, for essentially ad infinitum until the owner feels like trying again will just will kill the sport. But you also never get casual fans away. back. Like the only thing you'll get casual fans back for is the playoffs. Like the yes, casual fans for that. You but get you're casual not fans getting back them for the playoffs, or you get them back for something like the McGuire Sosa home run chase. That's or really it. Baseball the, does not the field have of any dreams other game. avenues. Yeah, the but that's the thing. Game did. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, and that's why I think you see baseball doing more and more of this stuff because they kind of realize, like, if we don't, if we don't care whether or not teams try, and the playoffs are only one month out of seven that we have, and there are all these other things going on, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we have to do gimmicks. We got to get mm-hmm. gimmicky with this shit. You saw. I mean, the NHL has done the exact same thing with the Winter Classic because the NHL understands that no one's going to watch a hockey game unless they are personally invested in it or unless there's some kind of spectacle to it that makes it different than a, than a regular hockey game. Football doesn't really have to do that because football can just always bill itself as football's crazy. Woo. Like they don't, their thing is more about let's do it on different days. I think than let's do and the, the London stuff aside, which is I think way more about the international audience than anything else. And also about, you know, soft, soft testing the London Jaguars, but and I think similarly with the NBA, their their gimmick stuff is more schedule stuff like uh, 17 games on Christmas Day or whatever. Or, you know, we're going to have rivalries all the damn time because rivalries are what matter and player matchups. Are, and, grant, and that, too, is also important that they have player matchups they can point to LeBron versus Durant, you know, or, or whatever it happens to be like the baseball can't do that. Baseball just cannot do those things. The only the only appeal baseball has is getting people invested in the product on a regular, consistent ideally daily basis like and getting a casual fan to become a hardcore fan is really 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 hard especially Mm. when you don't have a national product the same way that the nba and the nfl do especially when the only like especially when you have uh, when all you can do is hope that the teams the team that that where that fan is located is trying because if you're a fan who lives in the greater southwest ohio area All you've got is the Reds. You don't get to watch anything else. You know, the Indians, or sorry, the Guardians, that's going to take a bit, are blacked (laughs) out. And there's no other baseball team in the area anyway you're going to root for unless you want to be a Cardinals fan, but they're a billion hours away anyway. Like, the Reds are all you've got. Aside from Sunday night baseball, and if you have Apple TV and Peacock, whatever games are going to show up (laughs) on that shit, you don't get to watch baseball otherwise. All you get is the Reds. I, I can't like, ah, it's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating that baseball, like I, I do not know how to make baseball more popular. I don't know how to make it work on a national I just don't stadium. care. Like, see, that's the other thing is like, maybe I'm missing something, but I don't really care. I like what I like and I like baseball. But I, I like these games. It's I don't not my think job. baseball needs, I go back to it. I'm like, it's not my I job. Think, I don't think baseball needs to exist on the national stage in the same way the NBA and the NFL do because it can't. It just, it is too different a sport fundamentally that does not have the same individual player-based appeal or guarantee that the NBA and the NFL do. 
an NBA, if you go, there's you also nothing more, wrong with being a regional sport. Like no, there's there, no there Tennessee isn't. football fan. That's really like upset about the state of college football. Like, no, no they love going to Neyland. They love the games. They love the experience. They well, watch ten- every Tennessee game. When, yeah. when Tennessee is bad, there are fewer people watching Tennessee games, right? Okay. But the, I guess the other thing is like college, college sports in particular, the fan base there is different because there is an emotional attachment beyond just this team is. Where I would I say up. other schools, it's more likely like in Iowa State yeah. when they're down, then yes, less. Yeah. Iowa okay. State yeah. Fans I are forgot that, again, despite the fact I just said it, it means more yeah. in the SEC. Thank you, John. Sometimes but yeah, like, if, yeah. if you're if you're like a Rutgers fan, mm-hmm. you're not going to watch them when they're bad. You're only going right. to you're only going to care for like the Ray Rice years or for I guess they're not awful now are they well it's actually because greg shiano is back and oh, greg okay, shiano has cool. got them yeah. back to respectability so I, I love i love that the guy who led a staff outbreak at tampa bay is is the hero of central new jersey the, he the was also almost the coach president of, of piscataway <laughs> <laughs> i just always i wonder how many people went to Rutgers because of the sopranos like you saw that like well so i mean Alabama, the only people who go to Rutgers are from new jersey so all of them well, I mean, like they saw Rutgers on or on TV or Tony Soprano wearing a Rutgers thing and they're like, oh, go on a Rutgers. But I just imagine that had to be part of like they I would love to see the enrollment numbers because I guarantee you when the Sopranos was on Rutgers oh, yeah, saw sure. that a huge sense. That makes sense. because you saw Alabama like enrollment numbers are crazy since Alabama's been good. People don't realize this, but sports actually like cr- increase Cincinnati just had a big bump because they're in the playoff. Cincinnati just had a big enrollment bump. Yeah, so, speaking of speaking yeah. of another local team that people will probably want to pay more attention to than the Reds, the team that went to the national playoff. Like, right? It, that's the other thing about this. And the, the Reds Bengals were just have, in the Super Bowl. The Bengals the Reds, were just in the Super Bowl. The Reds could not have picked a worse time to try to do this stuff because they have guaranteed that they will not. No one is going to pay attention to them. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're like. It, I think it is like is being a Reds fan or being a fan of a team like that is the equivalent of being a fan of like a mid-major college team which mm-hmm. is that there are going to be some good years out of nowhere or, or unexpectedly. There are going to be some mediocre years and there are going to be some bad years, but you can't really count on fans to stick around through the mediocre and the bad years if you can't guarantee that they're going to get anything on the other end of stuff. What have Reds fans over the last 15 years gotten for all of the bad shit that team has put them through? <laughs> through one, first, one of the most incompetent rebuilds we've ever seen. And second, through what is maybe a rebuild, who knows, one of those skinny rebuilds? Nothing. They I want Kirk Herbstreit on this now. They I got to get Herbie on. Times. That's it. Dude, I got to get Herbie and ask him if he's going to watch every game. Like, and they Herbie, had, oh, and you missed a and game? They, and they lost the wild card game to Pittsburgh that one time. That was the wild card game, though, right? Yes, that was the, that was the wild game. card game ahead of the the division series where the Pirates lost the Cardinals. Yes. That was 2014, I believe. Wait, I thought, was it the Orioles or the Pirates? Or, sorry, 20, or 2013. Was it the... Pirates of the Orioles who were super unlucky in the wild card game. It was the Pirates because they ran into Madison Bumgarner and Jake Arrieta right. back to back. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. The Pirates went to the wild card yeah. game three straight times. They beat the they beat the Reds the first time. They beat Cueto. Yeah. Then they lost to Bumgarner and they lost to Arietta and that was that. Yeah. God. Yeah. It really. Yeah. I feel so bad for Pirates fans on the whole. Like thirty. Are you going to miss the this. one game? playoff i thought that was awesome i will miss miss i will miss the one game playoff like for as much as like we did get some duds in there i remember that Mm -hmm. orioles or no the orioles rangers wild card game is the one that stands out to me as one that was just like oh yeah that happened and i remember literally zero details from it Mm -hmm. um but i will miss it like if nothing else it gave us a's royals which i think is one of my favorite non-red Sox playoff games quite literally ever uh it gave us last year's nl wild card game which was an 
absolute just ball of crazy all the way through. Um, it's given us great moments like the Juan Soto double against Milwaukee that got through Trent Grisham that God, not just that saved, a- not just saved the nationals, but it, yeah, that, that was the difference between them winning a world series or not. It's it, the, everything hinged on that one. Everything changed on that one misplay. Um, obviously the Edwin Encarnacion walk off for Toronto against Baltimore in the Nozak Britain game, which is hugely crazy. Uh, you know, even, even last year's AL wildcard game, which was, Kind of a snoozer, all things considered, still gave us a one-game playoff between the Red Sox and the Yankees for the first time since '78. You know, I I'll, I'll miss that. Like, and I, and I I understand you. Is it the most fair way to decide? You know, which team is better? No, not at all. Is anything about the playoffs the fair way to decide which team is better? No, not at all. It's a short-term format, and it's not like going to three games is really going to tell us any more about that team anyway. It's just going to mean we get more boring 2-0 sweeps. So I, I will miss that. I will miss I will miss the 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 one game wild card because it really it wasn't just the instant drama that baseball doesn't it's it was the instant drama baseball doesn't really ever get mm-hmm. unless you get a game seven. It was basically, hey, let's start the playoffs with a game seven. And that's a really cool idea ultimately. Yeah. The, I guess the the downside of it was then you have to go into the division series, which is invariably year after year the most boring part of the playoffs. There's always one series that's just cuckoo bananas, but then the rest of them are just very kind of dull. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, just like the, we're ready for the NLCS. Like we're just, yeah, and it, like I think the 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 appeal of the division series is the same as the appeal of like the first two days of the NCAA tournament. It's just the volume. It's the mm-hmm. sheer staggering quantity you can consume of like high stakes sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I think it, it's also something where it's like. And then you watch those games and you're like, wait, why is the starter coming out after the fourth right playoffs? Right. Nothing is normal anymore. And then it just starts getting kind of frustrating. But yeah, I'll I'll miss the one game playoff for sure. There you go. Uh, John, let's hold the Marlins for now. Let's hold the Marlins for now. I mean, truthfully, truthfully, there's actually they haven't really done much aside from obviously El Garcia. So Um, how about this? I'm going to give you two. This is a two parter. Okay. Uh, One, where do you think Freddie Freeman ultimately signs? Okay. And then two, your biggest winner thus far in free agency and your biggest loser. I think I'm going to guess your biggest loser. Yeah. Um, considering we just spent like half an hour yelling about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know though. I don't, I don't know that I want to say the Reds are the biggest loser because they, I, I don't think we, any of us expected them to do anything this off season. I think the degree to which they are giving up is pathetic and, and infuriating. But I also don't think that this is an example of like a, a this is not a, a World Series winning team dismantling itself. You know, this is a team that got as good as like slightly above 500. And then the owner was like, why am I paying for this anymore? I don't give a shit. That sucks. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's hard for me to call them a loser because I think there are teams who you could more accurately say, why have they not done something or why have they not done more? So I guess but just to go back, Freddie Freeman destination, I think the Dodgers, because I think it just makes the most sense at this point. They have the need. They have the money. I, it I don't think really... it's Dodgers. Can I say? I don't think it's Dodgers, man. I was going to say, I, I thought about I, this the I other think... day because, like, Freeman, this goes against Friedman. Like, this is not what he wants to do. Like, that's this the, would actually that, that be a surprise. Is like, that's not been his MO. People like misunderstand the Dodgers where it's like, oh, money, money, money. But it's like, it's money spread out. Like, it's money that, like, it's also not th- money going to guys who are Freeman's age and at Correct. his end of the defensive yeah. spectrum. Like, Mookie Betts, he'll do it. Yeah, but sure. Freddie Freeman, you're not. I don't think he's. Well, gonna I, I do don't. That. Well, I don't think he's going to get a long term deal at this point. I think Freeman is more likely to get one is. of those short term high AAV ones because who is the team out there that wants six years of Freddie Freeman? 
I think it's if it's Blue not Jays. the Dodgers, he's coming back home. He's coming back home to Canada. Uh, I think he's a Blue Jay. I think this ends with him in in Toronto, and they just hit a billion dingers. Can you imagine a middle of your no, order? That, that lineup would be absolutely horrifying. Oh, like you God. eat. Like they're the favorites immediately in the AL East, right? Like if they I, sign, I, mean, I, th- I think Freddie they're Freeman. the favorites. Al- I think they're the favorites already. Well, see, the, the, I like that you said that because that's why I actually have as the biggest loser the Yankees so far. The jokes that people are making about the Yankees right now, well warranted. Uh, we saw today that uh, unvaxxed players cannot play in New York uh, as no, of right now. Cannot. And Which Aaron is a Judge, very interesting, interesting problem for both the Yankees and the Mets, both of whom have not great player vaccination rates. Right. Aaron Judge, um, we know based on his answer today is. Well, uh, we don't know whether or not he's not vaccinated. We just we just know that he does not want to say whether or not he is vaccinated, which which probably means he is not vaccinated. But yeah, we can't say for sure. We can't say for sure. And yeah, it's yeah. But yeah, it's not Um, it's not a it's not a great sign considering that if he were vaccinated, it would have been very easy simply to say yes. Yeah. Um, They might have to just. Bet on Rizzo. Like, it looks like that's going to be the thing. And Yankees fans are just in shambles. Rizzo had some vaccine issues last year. Albeit for... Different reasons. It seems like... I shouldn't say semi. It seems like for genuine medical reasons, he was was concerned about the vaccine. Yeah, because there's nuance. You could have nuance, but like... There is like a... I will will say there's a... So not to get... Not to turn this into like the... Like hannity and colmes which also was <laughs> terrible um there is a tiny 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 sliver of space where i can see there being a genuine like if you have a, if you are particularly medically susceptible for some reason or another to very weird narrow things or if like or someone like rizzo who has had cancer and who is you know trying to have a child with his wife like i can completely understand that in that particular scenario you might want to just like dot your eyes and cross your t's and make sure that you know that there's you know that you're not just not it's not even so much about not getting the vaccine but getting the vaccine that is the that works for you because of whatever conditions you may or may not have we haven't heard that with judge or at least we have and granted that's his you know that's his personal life he is he doesn't have to divulge that but right yeah that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out especially because we're now the yankees are now getting behind the nets in terms of badgering eric adams to change the vaccine requirements for new york city employees uh given how that's all played out with Kyrie, which is to say it has not played out well. I just, the Yankees aren't, the Yankees are having a weird off season, man. Like they're really not acting like a team that wants to get better. I don't, they're just like, I don't, I, I don't think it's so much. The Yankees don't want to get better. Like the Don- I, I, Did you like the Donaldson trade? Do you feel good about what they're doing there and what they're going to run so at I, shortstop? Ben Clemens wrote about the Donaldson trade on on for us on Fangraphs, and his conclusion was pretty much the same conclusion I I got to, which was I don't hate it, but I don't fully get it, and I feel it, it felt like one of those too clever by half things where if you're the Yankees, the two options in front of you were we can sign we have this we have a vacancy at shortstop. I mean, they had Gio Urshela as a starting shortstop, but that, no, that's not clearly that was not a legitimate thing they were going to do. You know, we have this vacancy at shortstop. We have this vacancy at first base. We can sign Carlos Correa. We can sign Freddie Freeman. We can trade for Matt Olson. We can go get the best possible answer to these solutions. Or we can get 75% of the way there for 75% of the money. It reminded me of what the Mets used to do before Steve Cohen was the owner, when the Wilpons were in charge. Where instead of just doing the obvious thing that would just simply cost more money, or I guess in the case of in the case of Olson, cost more prospects, 
they did the more convoluted thing that costs less, but also doesn't make them as good as simply doing the other thing would have. And like the thing, I don't think Donaldson's a bad addition. So he's a great hitter. He's a still can play a semi-average third base. I mean, the thing you worry about with him, obviously, is he's 36 and his lower half is is basically just, you know, rock candy. Like there's, there don't seem to be muscles or ligaments or tendons left down there. So you worry that, you know, how quickly does this turn into a into a Mike Lowell situation where he is just functionally immobile at third base? Um, but I, I mean, I, I do think I do think there are parts of that trade that make sense. Certainly, that is going to be a much better defensive left side of the infield in New York this year than it was last. Certainly, they're going to be much better defensively a catcher with Higashioka and Vortvet as opposed to uh, Gary. I think it's just good for everyone for Gary Sanchez not to be on the Yankees anymore. I think it's just a really good thing for that. Just not like everyone involved in that was very clearly miserable and did not want to do it anymore. And I'm just really happy for Gary Sanchez that he does not have to deal with New York anymore. You know, I, I don't think Urshela is someone you really want to count on going forward. And I, I think it made sense for them to move him. But again, like there was a much simpler solution out there that also would have raised the floor much higher than 36 year old Josh Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who literally cannot hit. He just cannot hit. Neither can Ben Rortvet, for that matter. Why are the New York Yankees going into the season with a catcher combo of Ben Rortvet and Kyle Higashioka? Why is Isaiah Kiner-Falefa going to be the opening day shortstop? Why is Anthony Rizzo, after doing nothing last season, or the, for the half season he was with them, because his bat has very clearly slowed down from where it was at his peak, why is he going to be the default first baseman unless it's the dude in Luke Voigt who has not been able to stay healthy for any stretch of time for the last 18 months? why it it doesn't have to be that way i don't and like the only the only explanation that makes any sense is the luxury tax thresholds that the yankees are hardcore committed to not going over those thresholds that's the only answer because on a pure baseball level there is no argument you can make for josh donaldson and isaiah kiner falefa over carlos correa and i don't know i mean there are a million different paths the yankees offseason could have gone down but this this one is just I mean, this is what the this is what the, if it's something the Wilpon era Mets would have done. That's not really a great sign, I don't think. <laughs> or at the very least, it makes me concerned, or it would concern me as a Yankees fan, even beyond just the fact that they really have not done anything else this offseason in a division that is loaded and is going to be an absolute nightmare all season. Like, what does this say about what they're going to do if they need to make moves during the season? if they're not willing just to do the simple, straightforward thing that makes them better. Like, I, I just don't know how you can have any real confidence in the Yankees. I think they'll be better than they were last year, if only because last year was such a, just seemed like such an ugly mess on all sides that I think, you know, I think the offseason will probably help. But this roster still has some holes on it that they have not really done anything about. And I I would... It's not a genuinely... roster that we should bet on to make it to the World Series. Like, this is just not... No, not and that's that why group. I say that's why I like Toronto as, as my ALE's favorite at this point, if not Tampa Bay, depending on what Tampa Bay does going forward. Like those are two those two teams have better rosters at this point, I think. And I, I guess I just I just don't really get it. Like if you're in a position if you're in the position that the Yankees are in where every marginal win at this every marginal win at this point counts so much. Like the the top four teams in the American League East are going to be separated at the end of the season, probably by like five games. You know, like this is not a situation where you're like the Brewers in the NL Central and you don't really have to try to win the division. You really have to try to win the AL East. You're not going to luck into it. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you not doing more to do that? And but on the, at the same time, I really don't see them getting in on Freeman because, again, it it violates 
what seems to be a core concept of theirs or two core concepts of theirs at this point. One, we're not giving out long-term deals to guys over 30 unless they are elite, elite, elite. Um, and I didn't, Garrett Cole doesn't even count for that because I don't believe he was 30. He had turned 30 yet. Uh, two, we're not going over the luxury tax thresholds unless there's a really damn good reason for it. And I don't know, especially after the offseason they've had where they, again, they really haven't done anything and they have not shown that that same kind of urge to like, let's do it, let's get it. What is the argument they're going to, what is the argument that Freddie, like, which is funny though, because I do think of the, of the teams that he could make the biggest impact on, I think the, the Yankees are probably number one. Putting Freddie Freeman in that lineup is enormous. Like that, I think takes them back to being the AL East favorites. Or at the very least, it makes that it makes that conversation between them, Toronto, and Tampa that much harder to figure out. But I I just don't see them doing it unless he agrees to a really short high AAV deal, a la Max Scherzer. But even that then creates luxury tax problems. I guess the 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 saving point there is that you know payroll is obviously going to fluctuate over the next couple of years, and you'd rather take that hit for two years than six. But I don't know. I I, I do just think it comes down to whichever team. I, I do think it comes down to Freeman. I think it's going to come down to him budging off that whatever long-term deal he's looking for, because I just, I don't see which team is going to be willing to do it. Even Toronto, like they have to figure out at some point where they're going to find the money for, for Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette to sign them to long-term extensions. If that's what they want to do like that, that has to happen at some point. We'll see. We'll see, but it's an exciting time nonetheless to be a oh but uh, i didn't i didn't uh i don't think i finished with the winners and the losers though oh yeah, or, yeah, yeah. We, we didn't pick our winners and losers uh i picked uh, the loser as the yankees uh who was your win? I, I think you did losers reds uh, no I, I i i don't know if i can say the yankees because i do think the donaldson trade made them better i just think they haven't done enough my loser right now is the phillies what the oh. hell are they doing they what the chris hell Bryant. is that team doing they're not gonna get chris bryant the, juris familia man juris familia the guy who, who walks everyone and gives up home runs and needs a great defense behind him to succeed, which the Phillies do not have. They're Were legit. they in a bidding war with uh, the Orioles for Herrera? Is that what I was saying there? Is that what was happening? Why, why are they paying Odubel Herrera, who was not just bad last year, but was also a convicted domestic abuser? Like, this is not a guy you need to keep around. You can go find an Odubel Herrera pretty much anywhere. Every team has at least one Odubel Herrera in terms of skill set lying around somewhere. This is a team that's legitimately trying to talk up Matt Veerling as an option in center field. Get the fuck out of here with this roster, man. Also, I, I just, I leaving. don't. Why did you McCutcheon and that, like he's been good for them. I didn't understand letting him go to Milwaukee. No, I mean, I think if all, I mean, their list of free agents were, were pathetic. It was like a bunch of guys where you were just like, you, this guy was legitimately on your team. Why? McCutcheon, I think was the only one on that list. who was like, you might want to consider bringing him back because your outfield situation is appalling. They haven't done anything to fix that. If they don't get Brian, what are they going to do? Kyle Schwarber? Kyle Schwarber shouldn't be playing the outfield full time. That's a disaster. Like that bullpen is that bullpen is going to cause literal heart attacks in the greater Philadelphia region this year. Like rotate on Aaron Nola and the no, ooh, my shoulder is not feeling too great. Zach Wheeler, oh, not a whole lot of steadiness there. That defense is awful. Like this is not a good. This is this is not a good team at all, man. And like. I don't understand why there is no urgency on their part to do better, especially when you have Bryce Harper right there. You know, you went to all this time and you went to all this effort and you spent all this money on not just Harper, but also, uh, but also Wheeler and also what you gave up to get, uh, 
to get JT Realmuto, especially with, you know, I know Sixo Sanchez is hurt, but it really does look like he has legitimate impact stuff. Like you, I mean, I still do that trade if I'm the Phillies, but regardless, but why do you do all that? If you're then not, if you're just going to stop at being an 82 win team, what's the point? I don't even know if this is an 82 win team right now. I don't know if this is a 500 club and it's not like there was no way for them to get better in free agency. I don't know that I signed Nick Castellanos to be my full-time outfielder either, but like, and you know, maybe, you know, maybe there is really nothing they can do about whether or not Bryant actually wants to be there, but there were other moves they could have made. There were free agents before this period of time that they could have signed. I mean, there's still like, they need a shortstop. There's still Correa out there right now. Like, or, or even if they don't want to pay what, what Correa is asking, fine. Trevor story sitting there too. You know, like Michael Conforto is out there if they really want an outfielder. They can sign Kenley Jansen if they need if they need relief help. You know, they can sign Zach Greinke. There are options there, and they're not doing not only are they not doing anything, what they are doing just seems to be like ultimately pretty counterproductive. They're signing guys who just don't make sense for them. Juris Familia makes no sense for this Phillies team. And I I know it's just a one-year deal for six million bucks, but like, what a why? We know everyone knows exactly how that one's gonna play out. And it's called him getting released in mid-July. Like, this is just, I don't know, man. It's just, it, to me, it's like, it's beyond just having a bad offseason. It's just, it's just a very, it's a loser franchise right now that just doesn't seem to have any direction or know all what's doing in any capacity. Like, the Phillies just seem lost. And they are in a division where they now can't really afford to be lost because the Braves are smart and good, and the Mets have a shit ton of money now. Nebraska even has if, the best job in America, man. That man, shout out to him. He's had a great run for 10 years where he's just like, let's see what happens. I'm just going to spend yeah. some money and like prospect too. I don't care, man. Like, I let's just like see what happens. Yeah, there just don't seem to be any like expectations there at this point. Right. I, I don't understand that, but I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Like Philly sports is always deeply confusing to me because it's, it's just, it's like, it's pure chaos, but I don't understand how or why the Phillies are doing what they're doing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't get them in the least um, for what they've done. So th- I think they'd be my loser of the, not just a free agency period, but probably the off season so far, just a totally baffling off season in, in terms of inactivity. Um, as for okay. a winner. No, I mean, I, I, again, hate to say it like it, it sucks on a purely emotional level, but Atlanta did real good. They did. did real good. There's yeah. no way around that one. <laughs> what do we do with the Rockies if they sign Chris Bryant? <laughs> <laughs> like what? Someone make that team make sense. I Why just would maybe do everything they've done. Oh what God, if he? It's, it's like I'm gonna hit a gazillion home runs. I'm gonna be an all like just an all time great player in Colorado, and then I'll get traded to a contender when I start to wind down. But let me just go rake for couple yeah why not and like denver's a cool place to live yeah like the media there is super chill like no one cared in colorado nobody cares about the rockies like you get to Mm it you get to exist it's basically the mountain padres you exist in perpetual anonymity like i don't necessarily know if brian wants to be in that scenario (laughs) also it's close to his it's close to both um i imagine he's been he has a spring training home in arizona and i imagine it's you know he still has a home in las vegas so it's geographically convenient for him I mean, you can you it can make the a case. Midwestern guy like that. Yeah. I mean, you, that you can make the, yeah. you can make the case for Colorado just on a purely vibes based perspective. It's impossible to make the case on a baseball perspective. Like Chris Bryant would basically be saying, "I don't give a shit about the next two to three years of my career. 
functionally. He'd be more interesting to me in like St. Louis or Can- Kansas City is my all time like chaos move of Kansas <laughs> City just being like. I think my mm-hmm. the one I the one I like is him in Toronto. But okay, what so how him in Kansas City was that that would be insane. Like I would love Kansas City. Like just uh, I would. It's kind of like an NFL thing where it's like, oh, they're going for it now. Like they're just like Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be great, and we're like the AL Central's up for grabs, and the White Sox sucked against everybody but the AL Central last year. They're topsy turvy. Let's see what Tony La Russa looks like in year two. Like we're going to go for it. The Twins just bottomed out. They want like we can. You can go zero to sixty I mean, in the, the AL Central. Like they have so much man, we, young talent. Like you could talk me about. into the Royals. We haven't even yeah. talked about how weird the twins have been since the lockout lifted. Well, you we talked about what they did, at least what you wanted. Like you said, this pitching rotation is a joke and they have to do something. And I don't think either of us saw Sonny Gray as a possibility. No, and I I, I like that move. It cost them. them their first round pick from last year. But <laughs> it, it was a high price to pay. Although, again, live armed right handed pitchers like the ultimate lottery ticket in baseball. Like if that guy pans out, OK, if he doesn't pan out, well, that was probably what was most likely to happen anyway. I yeah. like Sonny Gray for them. I, I just don't really... I think what's weird to me about the twins is first of all, just doing that, that weird kind of Falefa shuffle where they basically got worse at catcher in exchange for Gio Urshela ultimately. And I guess the pitching prospect they got out of Texas, it wasn't nothing, but at the same time, like that, that whole series of moves felt like, I, I think the, the weird thing about the twins is it feels like there's still something missing. And I know the big rumor was Trevor's story and he would make a ton of sense for them. But until and unless they make that missing move, I don't really know that what they've done like ultimately adds up to more than like 500 ultimately, which, hey, that might be enough in, in the central to at least, you know, make some noise and, and be a part of the playoff conversation. But I mean, Sonny Gray alone doesn't really it's a start, but that's the thing. It's 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 only a start and it's a real late one at that. Um, and it also just it it also just makes the Jose Barrios trade make that much less sense ultimately. When you consider that the guy they got back for it in Austin Matthews is someone that they very clearly don't think can handle shortstop long term. And like he was the big get of that deal. Like Simeon Woods Richardson's a nice pitcher, but like Matthews was the big get as probably the best college hitter in the draft that year. And a guy that, you know, was they have probably hoped like, okay, he can be our shortstop of the future if it's not going to be Royce Lewis. Well, it doesn't seem like it's going to be Austin Matthews. So, or Austin Matthews, that's the NHL player. Austin Martin. I keep doing that. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, it doesn't seem like it's going to be Austin Martin. So what was the Barrios trade for then? What did that accomplish? What did that, all it did was make your rotation worse ultimately in exchange for a guy who looks like he might be a poor man's Gavin Lux at this point, which is not, not, which is not, not valuable, but it's certainly, I, if I think if you were to ask the twins right now, would you rather have Jose Barrios or Austin, Austin Martin? They'd probably be like, yeah, we'd probably rather have Jose Barrios back. Because this this team with Barrios back in the rotation, yeah, that's a much more legitimate contender. This, this team with the rotation as is, where it's Sonny Gray followed by Joe Ryan followed by I don't even know Bailey Ober. Like it, it, there's there's not a like a Dylan Bundy. Like things still drop off real fast. And Gray is not neither a guy who has been ever really the picture of durability or health recently, nor is he a number one dude. He's a he's a mid rotation starter. He's a good mid rotation starter. He's a nice boy, but like he's not going to be the difference for the twins. And that's what I just don't really get. Like, especially when you consider like the other part of those deals just seem to be, let's get rid of as much salary as we basically can by getting rid of Donaldson. But then where's that money going to go? If you're not going to sign Trevor story or, or whoever, what was the point of that? Ultimately, you just made the left side of your infield worse for 
really no dis- no discernible reason. And you made yourself worse a catcher. I don't really, I don't know if Mitch Garver is the real deal, but I think I'd rather have him than Gary Sanchez at this point. Like, I, I know Garver's not a great defender, but Gary Sanchez is a terrible defender. Like, you can't really play him at catcher on the regular. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think that the Twins are an incomplete for me, and it just feels like they don't, I don't know if they, it doesn't really feel like they had a plan here. It just feels like yeah. they're kind of winging it. But to what end, I, I don't really know. The Yankee side of that well, trade, I can understand way more. The, the twin side of it, I, I'm still kind of at a loss. We'll end it there, John. The twins of it. We're at a loss with the Minnesota yeah. Twins. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm always at a loss with the Minnesota Twins. Truly. like Just like they are in the playoffs. Oh, my God. The Yankees fans can do that, not Red Sox fans. That was me. I can do that, that was, because I that look, man, just fire. beat the, the Yankees one time. One uh, single time. That is all I ask. One time. Man. Yeah. Well, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be this year. Maybe they bounce back. I don't know. I, I have my doubts. Uh, John Taylor, Fangraphs.com. Go subscribe if you have not already done so. Baseball's back. So if you're Baseball's waiting back. on baseball... Like you were like, I, I I'm thinking about fan graphs and becoming a member, but let's no, get baseball on, back. Come on down. We got we have yeah. so much content that's come out the last few days, just covering all the moves. Like I said earlier, we just got our postseason odds out. So you know, if you want to come yell at us for math that we did not really do much to, you know, we obviously have no influence over the math. Like come yell at us for that. Like mm-hmm. and we'll obviously, you know, we'll plenty more stuff coming through spring training and with opening day now, like less than a month away, like three weeks away. Yeah, come on, come on over to fan graphs. Go get yourself a membership. Now is the time. Join the join the fun. Join the crowd. Uh, get your first bet risk free. Use code Fangraphs. I don't know. Eighty five percent for the Braves. I like that. I like that. One of the best. Uh, John- one of the best odds in the in our whole thing. I think they're. I think they're number six overall in playoff odds. Yeah, the NL is going to be kind of boring. I think it's just going to be exactly like the NL. The NL is kind of the NL is kind of top heavy right now. Yes. Um, John Taylor, always a pleasure. Jay Taylor on Twitter. Fangraphs.com. Go subscribe if you've not already done so. And I will talk to you next week. Later. All right. That'll do it for the MLB free agency edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast with Fangraphs John Taylor. Thank you again to John for coming on today's show. It was a lot of fun and I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it and you uh, would like to help this show, guess what? You can leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell us why you like the show and why you like listening to John and I talk all things Major League Baseball each week at this time. Uh, Don't forget, folks, you can also watch this podcast on YouTube. So if you're not already subscribed to our YouTube channel, please go ahead and do that today. YouTube.com, type in the Chase Thomas podcast, that easy. Um, Let's see. What else? What else? What else? Uh, Follow me on Twitter, Chase underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Any mailbag questions in terms of Major League Baseball you'd like John and I to answer on the next week's show, feel free to shoot those over at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. All right. That'll do it. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.